Welcome to the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas. It's been years in the making, but when a new education funding bill finally emerged on Beacon Hill, it came with a bang. The Student Opportunity Act calls for $1.4 billion in new state aid to school districts, plus another $100 million in other education spending. It seemed to be nearly everything advocates were calling for in terms of how generously it funds schools, especially those educating lots of low-income students. It also has something for those insisting that new funding come with new accountability to ensure the money is well spent and that districts are making progress closing achievement gaps. There's still a ways to go before a final bill becomes law, but we have a pretty good idea of what its broad contours will look like. That seems especially true because the bill was unveiled with the backing of both Senate President Karen Spilka and House Speaker Robert DeLeo, a notable display of bicameral unity right out of the gate. Helping us take stock of the big development are two people who have been deeply involved in Massachusetts education issues for years. Ed Lambert is executive director of the Massachusetts Business Alliance for Education. Welcome, Ed. Great to be here with you, Michael. And State Senator Sonia Chang-Diaz is the former co-chair of the legislature's Education Committee and one of the principal sponsors of the Promise Act, an education funding bill filed early this year that really seems to have set the terms for the deliberations that resulted in the bill now before the legislature. Sonia Chang-Diaz, thank you for being here as well. Thanks, Michael. So let me ask you, uh, just give me your reaction to the bill. Uh, two thumbs up. Uh, it, it That's is, a pretty big vote yeah, of uh, confidence. It, you know, and it's, it's entirely earned. Um, and look, you know, there's no bill of this uh, size or scope that has everything exactly the way any member of the legislature would want it. Um, so that's, you know, are there things around the edges, you know, that I would tinker with? Of course, that's the nature of democratic governance. But um, in vast majority, you know, this bill is, um, it hits all of the marks that uh, that I stood up in January, you know, when I stood with our coalition of folks that have been pushing for the Promise Act um, this session and in years past. Um, and everything that we said that we wanted and needed uh, in a bill. It fully implements all five of the Foundation Budget Review Commission recommendations. And when I say fully, I mean fully, right? Um, Particularly on that low-income increment. Right, because there was some debate or range around what full implementation might mean on that. That's right. And the benchmark that we were looking for there was that um, the rate that attaches to low-income students in the highest poverty districts needed to go all the way um, to the top of the range that the FBRC recommended. The Foundation Budget Review thank Commission. Thank you. Yes, thank you for, for checking my acronyms. Um, no alphabet uh, soup. Here. No alphabet soup. Uh, so, but, you know, listener, be, be advised, FBRC is Foundation Budget Review Commission because it's an, a mouthful to keep saying. Right. Um, so the commission said, look, we need to acknowledge that um, – Students in high-density poverty districts need more resources to get to parity in academic achievement um, compared to even a a similarly low-income student, but who is attending school in a district that has a lot of resources and very few poor students. Um, And it said, so at the top, you know, in the highest poverty districts, you need to go 100% extra for those low-income students. And this bill does that. Um, So check on that account, right? Um, We also said this bill, uh, you know, we constructed the Promise Act on these principles, and I'm I'm using these same principles to evaluate any bill, right? So we also said it needs to provide for an accurate counting of who is actually poor, right? How many low-income students do we have in our um, schools, which seems non-controversial, but we haven't been doing that very well for the last few years. 
we said that the bill needs to be sort of proportional in the phase-in process so that nobody's getting front-loaded or back-loaded um, to the end of the seven-year phase-in. Um, and we said that it needs to be a bill that, uh, that restores a, a predictable um, true partnership between the state and localities when it comes to the work of public education. And the thing that's really been sort of eroding that in recent years is our chronic underfunding of uh, the charter mitigation money that the state promised to localities nine, nine years ago now. And the bill does that. So check, 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 check. So a happy camper yes. overall. Yeah. And, and Ed, what, give us your kind of top line reaction to the bill. Well, I, I certainly, uh, I think, can speak for our members and, and for other folks who wanted to ensure that the bill was, was you know, not just about funding, that we're really pleased with the outcome and, and, and want to credit uh, Senator Chang-Diaz for her leadership, not only co-chairing the FBRC, uh, but her continued advocacy since then. And I think that okay. uh, this, well, I, I really do think that this product brings across the finish line many of the very important It's goals. not at the finish line uh, I'm sorry. I, you're, you're absolutely right. It's not over till it's over. Uh, but certainly, just as the senator just said, the this focus it's the beginning of the end not the end of the beginning right. or something like right. that right the, this focus on on uh, low income uh, ELL students uh, the changing uh, of the deciles in a way that really recognizes the concentration of poverty particularly in gateway cities the counting of students which I know the senator has been very focused on and, and the language in that uh, we think it, it is very true to the principles of the FBRC in, in that regard uh, and very important and very well received that that part of it uh, at least uh, by our members. We also, as an organization dating back to 1993, have, have also been focused on, uh, I'm going to use the word accountability, uh, small a accountability, in that uh, no one was suggesting that it's time to, you know, add new testing or things like that, but just to try to make sure that there was some uh, accountability within uh, districts in terms of how money gets spent. I know this is important to legislators uh, on, on all sides of the aisle. Uh, that you want to not only fix the distribution formula, you just we want to make sure we get this right in terms of closing these persistent achievement gaps. And the language within this bill is is some uh, something that um, we certainly celebrate. Uh, a lot of it is very reflective of the kinds of things that we've been advocating for over the last several months. The the requirement that plans be put together, that there be some specificity uh, about how money is being spent within foundation budget categories at the school level, and that there be specific targets set for closing achievement gaps, uh, which we think is important as well, uh, that if there's going to be this new investment, there's got to be a renewed focus on making sure we get this done. Uh, and so doing that at the local level, doing it at the macro level, the state level, we think is very important. There are also some other great provisions in this in this bill. Um, uh, one of them is uh, at least the beginning of a more robust data collection and reporting on college and career readiness, which uh, obviously you would understand the business community is is very plugged into. Uh, and there's a requirement that the secretary uh, gather that information, report on it regularly, et cetera. Um, we do hope uh, to be able to continue to work with legislators to Im build on that as this goes through the process and to see whether or not there might be an opportunity to get some very specific programming in on college and career readiness. Uh, but we certainly applaud that and the innovation funding uh, that's there as well. So there are a lot of great things in the bill, uh, many of the things that MBAE and other folks have advocated for. And uh, we really appreciate the fact that we think um, the legislature in particular, uh, Chair Peisch and Chair Lewis, uh, and the Speaker and Senate President's Office did an awful lot of listening through this process, and we think this bill reflects that, that they, they took a lot of advice and information, not just from uh, business leaders, but from others, and incorporated that into the bill in a very meaningful way. 
Mm-hmm. I would also just add in, um, you know, and, and I'm uh, I'm not uh, abashed to say this that there are um, components in the bill that um, you know much that's in the bill mirrors uh, what was in the Promise Act, but a lot of the important stuff in the bill. Um, was taken, you know, from the advocacy of MBAE, and some of the things were taken from the governor's bill that were excellent ideas, and I'm thrilled to see them in there. So he had called for, I think, a $50 million innovation fund, and so that sort of seems to be one one element that that, that is in this bill. It's at a different, lower, I think, $10 million dollar amount, but I don't know, were there mm-hmm. other, is there other things from his bill that you're thinking of? That's probably the, the, the yeah. most, you know, obvious right. one, and um and I've long said, and I know I'd, you know we've had conversations about this. He'll attest to it that I'm all for uh, whether we call it an R and D fund or an innovation fund or the 21st Century Education Fund, uh, a fund that is about um, you know developing new strategies, new ideas, and also importantly, and I've been on this soapbox for a while, um, doing a better job uh, at uh, identifying disseminating and replicating best practices, right? There's actually a ton of great work going on in districts across the state, um, whether it be at charter schools or at district schools, that we don't do enough at the state level to lift that work up, celebrate it, and help spread it. Um, And that's one of the sort of usable functions of this fund, which I was really glad to see in there. Um, But, uh, you know, another example of something that was in the governor's bill that uh, shows up um, in the committee bill from yesterday is, um, you know, it's sort of buried in there in the weeds, but it's... um, an adjustment to uh, one of the categories that f- that builds the the whole foundation budget formula. It's you know the formula is just an, a, a sum of all the stuff we think we should buy to provide a net quality education. Right. right? You need a, a slice of a superintendent and a slice of a principal and teachers and paraprofessionals and school nurses and books. Blah blah blah. So one of the things, the categories that's in there is guidance and psychological services, mm-hmm. which everybody agrees we are you know just woefully sort of under resourced in that category relative to the need that um, that educators are. Seeing come in the doors these days in schools. And so um, increasing the amount that is projected in the formula for guidance and psych services, not just for low-income students, but for everybody. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm going to date you a little bit now, Ed, for for (laughs) listeners, and and sort of point out that uh, before Ed was the head of the Mass Business Alliance for Education, he's worn a number of hats. One of them, he was he was for many years the distinguished mayor of Fall River, and uh, and before that was a was a member of the legislature, a member of the House. And if I have it right, you were in the legislature and even on the Education Committee in 1993, when when the Education Reform Act was passed. And so as people, he's calling ma- you old, Ed. Yeah, well, he, you know. <laughs> well, he and Seems I are like yesterday. I think that he he and I are roughly contemporaries <laughs> too. So I'm not uh, I'm not dishing out anything I can't take. Um, but but as a lot of people know that you know that bill is often uh, uh, said to have been sort of the result of or to represent what people call a grand bargain that it involved a huge infusion of new funding for schools a lot of it directed to lower income communities but that it came with the whole structure of the the a word you said the accountability mm-hmm. uh, that we set set in place and and that question has been sort of looming over I think the debate on. A revamping of the of the of the bill after the Foundation Budget Review Commission, uh, and in the years since then, and so I know Ed, it's been important to you and to the uh, uh, Mass Business Alliance that that it have these provisions, including the one you referenced that will require districts to set out targets uh, for achievement for closing achievement gaps and report regularly on that. Um, but I just wonder, uh, Sonia Chang-Diaz, how you felt. I remember at the time of the rollout of the Promise Act, mm-hmm. the view that you had was that, you know, 
I remember you sort of used the term that, you know, this was owed money, that the, the for formula had had degraded so much that this was really an effort to kind of make make districts whole that mm -hmm. had been shortchanged. And you seemed, uh, you know, frankly, kind of wary of the idea of of attaching strings, as, as people might say, to mm -hmm. it with with other measures on the sort of accountability side. Yeah. How are you feeling now about, uh, I mean, how do you feel about the, the degree to which it does have some of those in there? I, I feel like the way that this that this bill threads the needle is appropriate. Um, and look, I, I've never been allergic to the word accountability. Um, I think it is, it's all about um, keeping our word right, and balance and, and staying anchored in the original intent, the original focus, mission, and um, and balance of the 93 Reform Act. I mean, hat tip to Ed here, right, in his original work. Um, the, I mean, first and foremost, right, we have to stay anchored in the fact that the driving goal of the 93 Ed Reform Act was to close opportunity and achievement gaps, right? It was about closing those disparities. And um, we shaved down those disparities in the first 10 years or so, um, but we have not just stagnated, as I say, we have backslid, and we have among the worst gaps in the nation now. And we have to, you know, the first, you know, first, um, first step of solving a problem is you have to admit that it's there, right? And we have to admit that we have failed at that mission, um, despite excellent intent um, and good faith effort in the first 25 years. And so, um, you know, keeping that focus on that, that, that needs to be our, our driving goal behind this new bill. Um, and I appreciate that MBAE has been, um, has reiterated right that this that the bill needs to keep as its focus. What are we doing to close those gaps? Um, the balance, you know, the question of balance, right, is in the in the ninety three Act, and then again in the twenty ten Act, right, which doesn't get talked about that much over this right. this so recent question. Achievement the gap Achievement Gap Act. Act. Yeah, there were um, you know substantial accountability. Um, uh, stuff, things, you know, right? Measures that were put into the bill originally in 1993, and then they were substantially increased in 2010. And uh, over the course of that time period, for state takeovers of schools and for entire districts. Yes, thank for you for right for for summarizing. Um, and to, you know that rapidly speeded up um, the the pace of intervention that the state would take when schools were just were foundering. Um, and this is uh, this is what gave rise to the the turnaround system right, that we have now. Um, but at the same time, right at that time, we didn't. There was no grand bargain, right? It wasn't a trade. Um, we didn't increase funding. There was for, a little bit of federal money. There that was came federal in, money, one time money, but it was right? temporary. It was basically, yeah. but it was basically sort of gap money, right? Because the bottom had fallen out of the economy, and so, but for that federal money, schools would have seen massive cuts. So it was essentially, you know, schools did not experience any any increase, any new resourcing in exchange. You know, I'm going to give air quotes that reader, your listeners can't mm -hmm. see, right? In exchange for those increased accountability measures. Um, so you know, the experience of school districts, and more importantly, students over the last 25 or 10 years, depending on where you start counting, is that we have been, um, we have not been keeping pace, right, with what it costs to educate students. So the, the funding has been cut, 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 cut for year over year. Um, and then if you consider the fact that we never got the numbers right from the beginning, again, despite great faith, yeah. you know, efforts by, by Ed and others in 93, we, well, didn't, change, sure. we did not appropriately size mm -hmm. the formula in 1993 with respect to closing opportunity and achievement gaps. And so students have never been getting the resources that they actually needed to catch up, right, and to get to that equal starting line in life. So it's kind of, you know, we haven't really given the real test of whether right. with, with the adequate funding, you're saying we can... 
we can see those right. gaps close. So or, I'm saying, you narrow. know, let's let's keep let's keep mm -hmm. the you know the the transparency, the accountability, the data collection and assessment stuff that we have, but actually juice the system with the resources that we know are necessary to get the job done, and then get the job done. Right. I think an important lesson here too is that you know we can't always wait 25 or 10 years. To, to revisit mm -hmm. some of this. You know, MBAE is calling for a standing Foundation Budget Review Commission that can continue to assess where there, where there might need to be changes and the like. Um, we, we do think that these opportunities don't come around very often. So ideas, not unlike one of the governor's proposals to incentivize early college and career pathway programs in high schools or some version of that right. is the kind of thing that we hope uh, can uh, can increase in the conversation over the next uh, several weeks. Uh, earning credentials in high schools. Um, you know, the, the, the fight 25 years ago was on academic achievement. That's still important, closing these achievement gaps. A lot of employers across the state recognize that even for students who pass the MCAS and graduate from high school, uh, they are not always very uh, ready for college or career. So things that we can do to continue to bolster that we think are, are important. There's also a, a, a very astute provision in this bill that hasn't gotten a lot of attention relative to asking the State Department of Education and DOR to continue to take a look at some of the equity issues relative to the formula. And we think that that's an important um, uh, component as well. And by that you mean what share of the foundation budget is paid by Districts versus the state in some in, ways, or in, is that in, part of it? In part, but you know, yeah. the, the, we have a very complicated formula, and uh, it attempts to try to get at everything. And as a former legislator, I, I also have a great appreciation for what you need to do to ensure that there's enough statewide support to move important legislation forward. But taking a look at uh, some of the non-needs-based uh, portions of the uh, of the aid, we think is something that at least the legislature has put a marker in in this bill to suggest that that's that's a conversation that should keep going between DESE, DOR, and legislative leaders. We think that's that's a, a very good part of the bill. Mm -hmm. And your point about the college and career readiness stuff, I think, does kind of underline this point that we, you know, you know, we there's a feeling we shouldn't just be sort of updating what what was the the sort of approach in '93 through funding or other things, but it's sort of taking stock of, of kind of the world as it is today and, and sort of what we understand today. I don't think there was the appreciation then of, uh, you know, of this issue we've seen of, of kids getting over the bar here with our accountability system, but really struggling mm -hmm. in higher ed. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, and, and so then sort of, sort of trying to sort of reverse engineer and yeah. see what is it about the way we operate our high schools, uh, you know, that, that needs to really change, and uh, you know, they a lot of them were kind of built on a structure going back a hundred years. I mean, it was a time when only a tiny share of of kids coming out of high schools were expected to go on to college and graduate. And so, it's just such a different world that I think. Uh, I mean, your point out about about taking a more expansive view of of what we can do, and and your point that you know that this is kind of the moment to to look at some of that stuff as much as I know there's kind of some inclination to sort of keep focused on the main elements of this bill. And the more you start to introduce other other parts to the conversation, the greater the chance of kind of getting bogged down in it. But but I think your point is that you don't always have these opportunities. You we know. appreciate that. I, I don't think I'll be around for the next round either. So, <laughs> well, oh, so, anyway. so we want to try to get this. To, but to redesign yeah. our high schools, given the fact that we have uh, uh, thousands of kids uh, on waiting lists to get into career tech 
ed right. programs and they can't. Uh, the success that early college has shown for first-generation college students in terms of them persisting in college, mm. these are proven practices. Uh, and then maybe we can do something to jumpstart and ignite that a little more. I think the reporting uh, on these issues is terrific. But if we just report and it's not part of some larger system to incentivize it for high schools, uh, we may be missing an opportunity. But you know what? That's in the grand scheme of things. Let me let me you know start to close on this by saying we're we're pleased with the bill. We think it's a very significant effort on the part of the state, and kudos to the legislators and, and leaders who helped make it happen. Yeah, yeah. I just want to say, I you know, while I mean, a like I said, we're you know we're not. It's not done yet. Right. There are some significant sure. phases right. we still have to get through, and I think it's really important that people you know stay tuned, keep eyes on the prize. We need to get this bill all the way through both chambers of the legislature and the governor's desk. Um, so you know, don't let's not pat on ourselves on the back yet. Totally, um, but. Um, when this bill is passed into law, um, it's sort of like I, I liken it to the feeling of um, winning an election, right? On election night, and you're celebrating, and then you have this moment where you realize, oh gosh, you know, tomorrow is I'm going to have to work even harder, right? That's when the the real work is going to start. That we're not going to have to wait, you know, another ten years to do the right things in education. There is a ton of work that is going to start having to happen and roll out. Uh, across the state once this money starts to flow. And there are so many things that we need to get right. And there are so many um, ideas that I think are sort of primed and ready to go to bring to scale, right? The districts have been um, piloting and that there are waiting lists for official or otherwise, right? I think about the city of Boston and the efforts that it's been going through in recent years, but not being able to really get there in expanding our early education offerings, right? And there's so many families that want into those seats and there are not enough seats to go around. So there, you know, and, and that is work that I expect will just um, blossom uh, over the next few years uh, once we can get this bill into law. All right. I'm just going to ask you to take two seconds, quick political reaction on uh, to, as we end. And that is that there's another big player. We've talked a lot about the work in the legislature, but Governor Baker is kind of watching from the sidelines or has been. He's going to at some point get involved in this. And he also filed a bill and it, it landed at a very different place than this bill has or than the Promise Act uh, did. And so I just wonder, how do you sort of think the governor kind of is going to reckon with all this? There was, there was roughly about a billion-dollar difference between, uh, in, in current dollars, the amount of new state aid that he proposed, you know, 400 and some million versus $1.4 billion. So appreciate where you that, getting those numbers right. So where does, that, where, does that, where does that leave the governor in this sort of uh, complicated dance? I think you should invite him on the show. <laughs> I think only only he can answer that question. Well, I, look, I think I, I think all the parties in this process deserve some credit, and I think uh, Governor Baker does as well. Uh, even um, uh, you know, within the context of what was happening when his bill was offered, uh, you know, he has been I think committed to these issues. Sometimes people forget too that he was a, a member of the Weld administration at a time when the ninety three Act uh, came about. So he's very familiar with the balance and the need for reform as well. And, you know, I, I know they're looking at the bill. And I think at the end of the day, uh, we will, um, as a commonwealth, all of the entities and the administration and the legislature will, will um, move toward the, the same goal. All right. Well, on that cheery note, we will, uh, we will call it a wrap. And I want to thank you both so much for coming in to talk. Uh, Senator Sonia Chang-Diaz, Ed Lambert. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Michael. Michael. And this has been another installment of the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas. Thanks for listening.